7-14. Here's the pitch by Downing. Swinging. There's a drive into left center field. That ball is going to be out of here. It's gone. It's 7-15. There's a new home run champion of all time. And it's Henry Aaron. From the Tanglewood Studios on the Baseball 101 Network, this is the Baseball 101 Go Six Podcast. So welcome to the show. I'm the host, Scott Wasleger. Thank you for listening wherever you are. So we have my son, Owen Wasleger, in studio today. He's an outfielder for Mount St. Mary's University, Division I program out of Emmitsburg, Maryland. And season got cut short and uh, going to share now uh, the events leading up to the season ending. Yeah, so you guys worked really hard. You came back from Christmas break and started working really hard right away. The weather was pretty conducive over in Maryland, so you were outside on the field a lot. Played a couple of series early on and then headed out to California. Correct. Yep, we had a, played a Bonaventure at home for a three-game series. Then we hosted University of Maryland Eastern Shore for a three-game series. Uh, unfortunately, uh, got swept in both those series, but, you know, still wasn't conference play, so we had positive attitudes and knew we could get better, and we're looking for an opportunity to win a couple games out in California. Yeah, so it looked almost like maybe you wouldn't go to California, but the timing was such that you you just you just got – you just headed out there right before, you know, everything started shutting down. Yeah, I knew there was some talk between our AD in San Francisco and University of California, Davis's AD, and they were sending emails out just to ensure that we would be okay. And I knew, I know our coach and AD sent emails out to parents just to inform them that we'd be all right going out there and that we're still going to go. And it wasn't a big concern out there yet. Yeah, that's good. So you get out there, and I know I talk to you pretty much every day, but you get out there and you, you guys struggle a little bit against San Francisco and you personally struggle a little bit. Tell me about that. Yeah. So San Fran was, they were a really good team. They hit up and down the lineup. They, we played them in a mid, midweek series. So the midweek guys through the midweek guys, you know, most of them were upper 80. Some of them were touching 90. So um, that was a lot different than the midweek guys we face up in the East coast. So they were through the ball pretty well. They, played good defense. They hit the ball. Their park was really strange. Their right field was 280 with about a 40-foot wall, so kind of like a monster out there. Center field was 400-plus, and left field was, I think, 330. So it was a weird ballpark, played really weird turf. Uh, But, yeah, it was tough to see the ball all series, Uh, not just myself but other hitters on the team. The sun would set behind home plate, and the shadow would move uh, over the pitcher's mound as the game went on. So, you know, come three or fourth inning, third or fourth inning, the pitcher, uh, the ball would be in the shade back to the sun or sun back to the shade. So it was kind of hard to pick up uh, just the ball coming out of the pitcher's hand. So you're walking up to the plate now mid-game or so knowing that. What's your, what are you thinking as you walk up to the plate there, knowing that it's going to be a little bit of a struggle because of the sun? Yeah, so I knew – I had to make quick adjustments since I had already had two at-bats. I just was trying to jump on something quick, uh, maybe a fastball that I can get my timing down. I was working on my timing a lot in the on-deck circle, so I, my timing was pretty down for the most part. So I was looking for something uh, pretty much in the zone to hit, 
you know, a couple of balls off the plate outside or a couple of balls inside. So I was just trying to barrel something up and hope that it'd find some grass. So you guys started playing a little bit better after San Francisco. You actually put together a couple elements of the game pretty well. And then UC Davis, same thing, picked up a win at UC Davis. You personally start swinging the bat uh, very well at that point, seeing it well. Uh, probably a lot different than San Francisco. You guys pick up a win, um, finish the the, uh, the California trip and, and head back, and then take me through those couple days coming back. Yeah, so we get back from California, you know, really early Monday morning around 3 a.m. We have every Monday off during the season, so a bunch of guys just relaxed. A couple of guys went and got some swings in, getting ready for those midweek games on Tuesday and Wednesday. We play – Navy on Tuesday, Coppin State on Wednesday. So we had a we had a little momentum coming back from California. We like you just said, we had a good win against UC Davis in Game Two. Didn't really play well in Game Three, but you know everything clicked in Game Two. So we had that confidence that we can go into the midweek and eventually the weekend playing well. So Tuesday, we got Navy. Wednesday, Coppin State looking to pick up two midweek games to four or four game series with Lehigh. Yeah, and, and at that point, you personally still seeing the ball pretty well um, and and feeling pretty good about your at-bats. Obviously, you know, I watched, a, 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 you know, most of those two games and looked like you were swinging it really well. You guys pick up a win against Coppin State. And then what happens with regard to this whole – let me ask you this. Was it had anybody been thinking about in California or just after about the possibility of games getting canceled or was there any concerns amongst players at this point? Not a lot of, not a lot of concern or discussion in California, just because we knew we could go there and we had uh, the okay to go out there. So we're, we're all having fun out there and not really thinking about the coronavirus, just playing baseball. No one really had any idea that it would get this big or that it was going to get, you know, this big. Uh, I know there were a few cases out at UC Davis, but nothing much. Come back home, play Navy. Guys were guys were feeling good against Navy. You know, nothing had been canceled yet. No one had heard anything yet. There were rumblings of, you know, maybe this school might get canceled or something, but we were just out there playing baseball. Yeah, so then you, you play Coppin State, you pick up a win against them, and – How's it unfold after there? Coach lets you know. And uh, for those who don't know, Mount St. Mary's is in the NEC conference. They play in the same conference with the likes of uh, Central Connecticut, Bryant, LIU, uh, Merrimax, Nota League this year. And Coach uh, Scott Thompson, your head coach, when, when does he start letting you know that things might be a little funky? So after Coppin State, we, we got an email from the school. We might have gotten it while we were playing, but after the game ended, we all found out this email that school was going to be canceled until the following Tuesday, and then we would resume online classes, only online classes until March 30th. We didn't hear anything from Coach at that point. We just had the email from the school knowing that we would be online for the next couple weeks, and Coach uh, obviously got the email too. Not much talk going on, going on around baseball, uh, just that school was canceled go home that night, you know, looking to, looking to practice the next day. We were supposed to have a team lift at 1 p.m. and practice at 4, just trying to get better. It would have been nice and enjoyable, you know, without school for a couple of days, focusing on just baseball, kind of like at the end of last year when 
we still had to play games while school was out. So we were looking forward to just hanging out with the guys and, and playing the game we love. Yeah, and then you were supposed to have Lehigh for a four-game uh, series, one at your place and then three over at their place. And as I remember, word started coming out that they might be canceling and the Patriot League canceled. And then you guys find out from coach like Thursday night or when do you find out that you got so, the league so just canceled? Thursday morning, we found out on social media that the Patriot League, which Lehigh plays and has been canceled starting on the following Monday. So there was still hope that we could play the weekend games since they were canceling their season uh, a day after we would play them. So their season got canceled. Wasn't Guys were getting a little worried that, you know, it might be a trickle-down effect. Ours might cancel soon. So coach calls for a team meeting, you know, at 1 o'clock. And we get there, and we had already heard that Mount St. Mary's lacrosse had been canceled for the season. So we were um, – guys were already a little disappointed, but still keeping a little hope that we might still be able to play some games this year. Get to our supposedly team lift meeting. And we find out that we can't be lifting in that weight room. This season has been indefinitely suspended. Uh, well, suspended until the 30th of March, and we're going to try to go from there. But he wants to send everyone home. The Northeast Conference uh, wants everyone off campus, no practicing. Guys have to do work on their own. And from that point on, we had a little hope because we knew or we thought that the season would resume on the 30th when we came back. So how are guys – how are your teammates, especially the older ones, seniors? Is anybody is anybody freaking out at this point? Anybody concerned? People just kind of like not being able to wrap their heads around it. Like, is this really happening? What's the feeling amongst especially older guys at that point? I would say concern and a little bit of disappointment. Disappointment just because, you know, even if we did resume in a couple of weeks, we'd still miss out on, you know, 10 to 12 games. So just the disappointment of our season being cut short. Um, and especially seniors who this is their last ride, you know, want to play all 50 games this year and, you know, get better each game and hopefully make the conference tournament. But the younger guys were kind of shocked, I would say, and the older guys were more disappointed just because they knew that this might be the end for them. Yeah, so you head out of there. You leave school on that Friday morning, headed home to Connecticut, stop and see your girlfriend. Shout out to Julia uh, along the way. <laughs> Lots of beats for her, by the way. <laughs> and you you visit with her, but then and and somewhere in there that the season's canceled completely. Um, does your phone blow up? Are guys calling you? Um, what? How's that take me through that? So I remember Friday morning was packing up, getting ready to leave Emmitsburg, and we received uh, the Northeast Conference actually put out on there social media that the season has been canceled for all spring uh, teams. So all spring teams, all, you know, spring sports season has been canceled. That was found out through Northeast conference on Instagram and on Twitter. So we found out that before we even knew anything from our coach. So we found out about that. Our team group chats blowing up, you know, what are we going to do? How guys are feeling about this. And I hit the road to Collegeville, Pennsylvania, and we, our coach actually sent an email while I was driving, you know, just saying that it's unfortunate that the Northeast Conference canceled the season. Um, they, they were pretty much forced to do so with NCAA um, canceling the College World Series. So before our season got canceled, there was an announcement that all spring championships would be canceled. 
So no College World Series, no Northeast Conference Championship. So at this point, we were just trying to play a regular season. And a few hours later, they released that the Northeast Conference spring season would be canceled. And guys were just in shock and a lot of disappointment throughout the guys. Yeah, I'm sure. And I'm sure I'm sure you guys, everybody doesn't still have their heads wrapped around it. I mean, I don't as a coach. Hard to believe that we're not playing baseball and just it doesn't seem real. Um, what's the thinking moving forward for some of the guys, but you personally? Yeah, so me personally, uh, still trying to get a fifth year. The NCAA Division One is going to give senior, going to give everyone actually a, uh, an extra year of eligibility, kind of like a blanket year, so seniors can get that fifth year if they want to. Uh, you know, juniors, sophomores, and first years can get that extra year if they want to their senior year but I'm just you know taking this as it as the off season right now I'm going to hit and throw on my own and uh, try to get some workouts in on the on the track at our high school even though the gym is closed but just just stay in shape and treat it like the off season hit every day throw every day get ready to go back like we'll be going back March 30th and be playing again you know if I go back and get my fifth year which I'd love to do either at Mount St. Mary's or elsewhere I have to, I'm going to play summer ball this summer you know, stay, you stay with live pitching, see the ball well again. And, you know, I know other guys on the team are looking to get their fifth year as well. Uh, and some seniors that um, this will be the end for them. Some of them due to injury, but we had a couple fifth year guys that were going to, that were, you know, at the end of their careers who will just call it, call it a career. But we had a couple guys that were also, you know, injured or just won't come back and they have jobs waiting for them uh, in September. But, Uh, From my standpoint, still looking to play next year, looking to get a fifth year, staying in shape, and uh, just going to keep enjoying myself as I can right now and uh, play baseball. Yeah, it looks like nationwide, and especially with you guys as well locally, um, you know, those are the choices for some of these seniors. Some of these seniors will decide to retire because they're just tired of the grind. They're tired of working through injuries. Some will look to play at another place maybe. And uh, some will go back to their schools with a fifth year. And, you know, someone like you, uh, maybe ultimately the fifth year will be a blessing. I mean, we always talked about maybe it would have been good for you to PG a year someplace or repeat a year in your high school years. So maybe ultimately the positive of this is it gives someone like you an extra year. Yeah, you know, uh, you also have to take into consideration, you know, um, you're going to school to, to get a degree and hopefully get a job one day and baseball is just a little bonus. So a lot of fifth year guys like myself have to look somewhere that they can go to get a master's program. Um, I know a lot of fifth years look to other schools, uh, to go cause there's no transfer rule as fifth years. You can pretty much go wherever you want, uh, and look for a good master's program that fits your degree. So you can, you know, get a purpose out of getting a fifth year. Yeah. Well said. Now this is new for everybody. Um, and obviously your coach, although experienced, uh, 20 plus years coaching has a great coaching background. It's his first time going through this and navigating this kind of a situation. What has he said to you guys with regard to, um, staying in shape, playing ball? What is, what has been some, what has been some of his direction? So when we had our team meeting last Thursday, he just pretty much said, you know, I trust you guys to throw bullpens, hit on your own, long toss on your own, stay in shape, uh, because he knows that 
you know, next year is going to be a big year for colleges. They might be expanding the rosters and there might be more, you know, spots opening up and more competition. So he knows he's already set up guys playing summer ball, some places, the guys that were supposed to be returning uh, a bunch of guys I know are training on their own, uh, throwing bullpens to, to catchers. And a lot of the guys that I go to school with are from Pennsylvania or Maryland. So they're not too far from other guys on the team. They'll try to work out together. Uh, like I said before, hit throw, stay in shape. Like we're getting ready to play a game in a couple of weeks. Well, I said on a previous episode um, where we talked about this unfortunate situation that this might be the most competitive summer ball season if it if it takes place, let's hope it takes place. But this might be the most competitive summer ball season in the history of summer ball, because there'll be pitchers who normally wouldn't be pitching a lot of innings in the summer that will pitch a lot because of the absence of the spring season. There'll be uh, it'll be quite competitive, and the rosters will be jammed, and it'll be probably the best baseball we've seen in a long, long time. Again, fingers crossed that it actually happens. Yeah, you know, I I totally agree with that. I know I heard that the uh, Coastal Plains League is, you know, accepting fifth-year seniors and expanding their rosters. As I heard from shout-out Perry Florio, the Florence Red Wolves are expanding their roster and, you know, giving the opportunity to any fifth-year guys that uh, would show interest. Uh, I know my former GM up in Mohawk Valley uh, is letting, you know, some fifth-year guys come back and he might expand his roster a little bit, but – yeah, you made a great point about the pitchers. You know, guys that were number one, number two pitchers at colleges normally would be on a pitching pitching innings limit or not even throwing over the summer. So these guys now can, you know, throw thirty to forty innings this summer and you'll see, you know, a lot of a lot of fans at these games now considering there was no college season and the comp- the competition this summer will be probably one of the best ever. Yep, absolutely. Well we're we're glad to have you home here. Um Although, you know, we wish we were playing baseball. I know you personally were hot. I know the team, based on the early season experiences and putting together different elements of the game well in different games, we're going to put it all together and probably have a really good conference, um, conference season. And it's all unfortunate, but nothing we can do about it now. Got to move forward, control the controllables, and um, – see what happens and pray for everyone that whatever happens, it's in the best interest and it works out well for guys like yourself, your teammates and, and everybody, you know, across the country who's in the same situation. So man, thanks. Thanks for sharing that information, a little bit of inside information for people who are listening and uh, we appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been, it's been a pleasure joining the go six podcast and uh, I wish you the best of luck. Thanks, man. When we come back, we'll talk about the top five pitchers of all time. We thought that in light of what's going on recently with the craziness in the world and national emergency and this coronavirus, rather than talk about the coronavirus and how we should handle things and how we should move forward from a baseball standpoint. And we will cover that at some point and we'll get some coaches on and some players on to talk about that. But there's really a lot of uncertainty right now and there's really no answers. So it's, it doesn't, it seems pointless to talk about how we should move forward. So in the meantime, I thought maybe we would put out some podcasts in between our normal weekly one which drops every Wednesday 
and those podcasts would include just some fun baseball, maybe some storytelling, maybe some opinions or lists of what we think might be the greatest all-time teams, the greatest all-time players, maybe the greatest uh, all-time World Series. So today we'll talk about the top five pitchers of all time, which will be fun. But before I do that, I wanted to backtrack a little bit to my previous podcast where I talked about the top five home runs of all time. And I referenced at number two, the 1993 World Series where Joe Carter hit a walk-off home run in game six against the Phillies. That was a great home run. One thing that got lost in editing was the story of how in the ninth inning when Mitch Williams came in for the Phillies left-handed pitcher, First of all, Ricky Henderson on the Blue Jays went up and down the dugout bench, high-fiving everybody because he said, this guy's wild and he's definitely going to walk me. And everybody knew then that when Ricky got on base, there was a good chance that he'd come around to score. Matter of fact, 70% of the time he got a walk, he would come around to score. So that was one thing that was a little inside information. The other thing was, so Henderson walks. Devon White flies out before Henderson gets a chance to seal second. Paul Molitor, who ended up being the series MVP, singles. So now we have first and second. Carter comes to the plate. And Carter's approach was going to be very patient. He said he was going to take a pitch. He was going to take until he got a strike, matter of fact. And the first two pitches were balls out of the zone and he was showing patience and he did that because he had that approach because he said he wanted to calm himself down. The next pitch was a strike two and one count. The two and one pitch was a slider or a cut fastball that Carter looked terrible on. His swing was terrible. And the reason for that was, he explains, that Mickey Morandini the Phillies' second baseman had moved way over towards second base. Carter was a pull hitter, a dead pull hitter. And even though in 1993 we didn't have the drastic defensive shifts that we have today, Morandini moved way over. And when he did so, his gray uniform was the background that Carter saw in Williams' arm slot on that pitch. So he did not see the pitch well at all, sort of waved at it for a two-and-two count. The general manager of the Blue Jays at the time was sitting next to a scout in the stands at this time and said, what do you think? And the scout said, I think you're going to see a 6-4-3 double play, and we'll see you tomorrow night for Game 7. Carter said he was then looking for the same pitch, like a cut fastball or a slider, and he said that because he guessed that Williams would think he made him look silly on that swing. So he'd come back with it. And as he came set and Darren Dalton gave the sign, Mitch Williams shook him off. So that created a little bit of confusion for Carter who was looking off speed and was now confused as to what he would really get. What he did get was a cut fastball slash slider that was supposed to be up and away, and Williams missed with it low and in, which was Carter's sweet spot, and he got his hands inside the ball, 
which he always did really well to keep balls fair and was able to hit that ball out of the park, keep it fair and hit it out of the park. And the rest is history. But I wanted to elaborate on that because that got cut out of the last podcast. So today we're talking about the five greatest pitchers of all time. And what I did was uh, went through and listed them five through one, left some out, tremendous pitchers, great pitchers who were in the Hall of Fame, didn't make this top five, and you'll be surprised who's number one. Okay, we're back on the Go 6 podcast. Thanks so much for listening. If you would like, you can email us at go6podcast at yahoo.com. That's go, the numeral six, podcast at yahoo.com. You can tweet at us or follow us on Twitter at FrozenRope8. That's at FrozenRope8. And within the Apple podcast or the Anchor podcast, you can leave a message for us by tapping the message button, and we'll try to include that in our next podcast, whatever your message is, whether it be a shout-out, a comment, or a question. So let's get to it, the top five pitchers of all time. I didn't include some pitchers who, in my eyes, pitchers who just have a ton of wins. I didn't include some of those guys, some of those guys who had short careers also. Sandy Koufax was a really, really great pitcher, Hall of Famer, not in my top five. Cy Young, 511 wins, not in my top five. Christy Mathewson, 400-something wins, not in my top five. All Hall of Famers who could have been in the top five but did not make mine. So I'm going to start out with number five, and that's Bob Gibson. He pitched for the St. Louis Cardinals 1959 to 1975. His dominant years were 64 to 72. Matter of fact, he had a no-hitter in 71. In 1968, which is the year the Cardinals won the World Series, he had a 1.12 ERA. He was also the MVP in 1968. He regularly threw 96 miles an hour. Little tidbit of information, originally born with the first name Pack, P-A-C-K, Robert Gibson, hated the name Pack. Changed changed it so people would refer to him to Bob. Uh, also, he went to Creighton and in 1957 was signed by the Cardinals and given a $3,000 bonus. But he delayed his time with the Cardinals for one year in order to play with the Harlem Globetrotters because he was a pretty good basketball player in college. After he traveled with the Globetrotters for a year, it was kind of a grind. They played a lot of doubleheaders. Uh, he decided to go play for the Cardinals. And um, one of the other notable things is that the pitching mound after that year, 68, was lowered mostly because of Bob Gibson's dominance. So he falls in at number five for me. Number four, Tom Terrific, Tom Seaver, pitched from 67 to 86 with various teams. He was the 67 Rookie of the Year. He had 18 complete games that year. He had 311 wins. 
231 complete games, 61 shutouts, and he won the Cy Young Award three times. He was drafted by the Dodgers and the Braves two separate times. He went to USC. Another notable thing for people who don't know, when the, when his original team, the Mets, won the World Series in 1986, Seaver was on the Red Sox roster. He was hurt and couldn't pitch. He had a hurt knee and couldn't pitch. But he was a dominant right-handed pitcher for a long time. Many, many years of 200 strikeouts in a season. Um, so he falls in at number four. Number three, the big unit, the big lefty, Randy Johnson, six feet, 10 inches, topped or, or topped out at 100 miles an hour many times, five-time Cy Young Award winner, World Series champion. He had 4,875 strikeouts. I can't imagine what it was like sitting in the box facing him with all those arms and legs coming at you at anywhere between 95 and 100 miles an hour, especially, especially if you were a left-handed hitter. Coming in at number two, Nolan Ryan. Nolan Ryan was a dominant right-handed pitcher, 27-year career, seven no-nos. Think about that for a minute, baseball fans. Seven no-hitters. He had 5,714 strikeouts. So think about that and compare to Randy Johnson, who was a great one and had 4,800 strikeouts or more. Something that people don't know is Ryan was with the 69 Mets, actually pitched in relief in game three and got the save, pitched two and a half innings in relief and got the save. That was his only World Series win. Matter of fact, his only time that he was able to pitch in a World Series. He also was the leader in strikeouts 11 times. So he was dominant to be able to do it as long as he did for with as many teams as he did. Pretty amazing. Ryan, Ryan Express, Nolan Ryan. And falling in at number one, this gentleman was the AL MVP in 1986. He had 46 shutouts in his career, six Cy Youngs in the American League, and then decided he'd prove himself in the National League, too, with one Cy Young. Won the World Series twice and uh, just was, was pretty dominant. The Rocket, Roger Clemens. Now, I know a lot of people will contest my number one selection, because, especially because of steroids, but don't forget, he was probably pitching against a lot of guys who were using steroids as well. I believe that steroids did not make him pitch um, well or faster or stronger, but I believe they probably did lengthen his career. Uh, he's getting closer and closer to the Hall of Fame, and let's be let's be clear here. I'm not a Clemens fan necessarily. Never really was. But when you look at what he did for as long as he did, two different leagues— seven Cy Young Awards, um, and the work ethic that he had. He's a champion twice at a University of Texas. Uh, I think you could argue a lot of other guys are the best pitcher of all time, but I think he's definitely in the discussion, and he's my number one for now. So that's our top five pitchers of all time. 
we'll be back right after this. So the playlist song of the week is a song that we suggest every week that you add to your playlist. And I've said this before, but I'll mention it again. We can't play it on our podcast because of copyright restrictions, but we like to suggest a song every week that maybe you can go Google or download from wherever you get your music from and add it to your playlist. And this one is Back on the Road Again by REO Speedwagon. Great rock and roll band, had a lot of hits in the late 70s, early 80s, a lot of fast-paced hits, a lot of ballads. This one from 1979, Back on the Road Again, add it to your playlist. That'll do it for us on the Go 6 podcast this week. Thank you for listening. Please rate, review, tell a friend about the podcast. We're looking to get 1% better every week, and we can't wait to be with you again.